Um, about eight years ago, I, I was still living in Texas, um, just in, in a suburb just outside of Houston um, called the Woodlands, Texas. And uh, I started around that time, I was, I was pretty young in my faith, and I remember hearing about uh, some of my friends they would do this thing where they would take a day to just give the Lord undivided attention. Maybe you've done that before, um, where you just get in your car and you drive somewhere. Maybe you go out to the woods. Maybe you go to uh, a coffee shop and you're just like, I'm just going to read the word. I'm going to focus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to reflect on what the Lord's doing in my life, see what he might, might want to speak to me. And so this specific day, I decided I'm going to try that. And so I packed up my backpack. I put my uh, laptop in there. I, I grabbed a, a Bible, a commentary, which just is a little book that helps you understand the Bible um, a bit better um, from smart people um, most of the time. And, uh, and then a journal, and I just got in my car, and I drove downtown to Houston um, and found a little coffee shop um, to go into. And so I get in there. Um, I get my drink. I lay out all my stuff. You know when you get in the coffee shop, maybe if you do this, and you like lay out all your things, and you're just like looking at them like, oh, this is awesome. Uh, I, I love all, the, all of these little things. Uh, my, I didn't have an Apple computer, but they look great on uh, Instagram. And, uh, and so lay that stuff out, and I'm feeling great about myself, feeling super spiritual. And I, I look over to my right, uh, and I see this guy sitting like three tables over from me. And I get this thought, um, and I just, I, this thought comes in my head, what if God told me to speak to him? Like, what if God were to tell me to talk to this guy about Jesus? Uh, have you ever had that thought, like, you're walking around, maybe you, it's an inkling, like, I should, or maybe it's just the thought, what if? And, and I, mine was a what if, and honestly, the thought absolutely terrified me. Um, the idea of getting out of my seat and walking up to a stranger to talk to him about Jesus, even in the Bible Belt of Houston, um, where everybody goes to church, um, I, I was terrified. And so I, I was so terrified um, at just the thought that maybe God might ask me at some point in my time as I'm seeking in the morning to talk to this guy. I was so terrified. I packed up all my stuff within like five minutes of being there, got in my car, and I started driving back home uh, to the Woodlands, Texas. And, and as I drove home, I just was weeping. Um, and I wept because, um, because of what had just happened and the juxtaposition between that and something that happened earlier in my week. Um, so uh, this was eight years ago, and earlier that week, I had just seen the movie Avatar. Have you guys seen Avatar? Um, so I just saw the movie Avatar for the first time. If you haven't seen it, it's Pocahontas in space. It's, it's great. And it really is. Think, think it through. Um, and, uh, I, uh, I just seen it and it blew my mind. Like the visuals in that movie were like, unlike anything I had ever seen in a movie. And I thought it was so amazing. This is a three hour movie. The next day I went and gathered probably the biggest group I've ever gathered at that period of my life to do an event together. I like contacted all my friends and got them all and we went and saw the movie again. Now, why did I go see the movie again with them? It, I didn't just want my friends to just, I could have just said, hey guys, you should go see this movie, right? That, you'd think that'd be sufficient, but that wasn't enough for me because I didn't want them to just see the movie. I actually wanted to like look over in the aisle and see them seeing the movie. Like I wanted to watch them share 
in my wonder, in my awe of this thing that I was taking great delight in. My joy wasn't going to be complete by just knowing that they saw it. Like, I wanted to experience it with them. Um, and, and the biggest group I'd ever gathered at that point in my life, we go and we see this movie. And then two or three days later, the thought of talking to a guy who I don't even know and probably never going to see again uh, about what I claim is the best news in the world terrifies me so much that I'm running away in my car uh, after five minutes at a Starbucks. Why is it so easy for us to proclaim the greatness of our favorite movie, um, our favorite, maybe our favorite show, favorite health plan, essential oils, beauty product, you name the thing, right? You, you could put it in there, the thing that you love to talk about. So many of us, it's so easy to talk about these things, but the thought of talking to somebody about what we claim is the best news in the world is absolutely terrifying. Now, some of us here, we don't know this news, and so that's why we're not thinking about, should I share it with this person or this person? Like, we don't even know it. When I say the best news in the world, you're like, what are you talking about? What is this news? And um, if, if that's you, it's my honor to share that with you today. We're going to see that as we get into the word. Just uh, stay tuned. Um, but for, for those of us who follow Jesus, how are we going to get the guts to speak? Because it's not an option to not speak. Like this world, this city needs this news more than anything in the world. We can, uh, we could go on and, and, and serve and do all of these good things, but if they don't have this good news, they've got nothing. It's everything. So how are we going to get the guts to speak up? That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, last week we were in Acts chapter 3, uh, and we heard this story about this man who was born uh, lame, uh, meaning he, he couldn't walk from birth, right? And uh, th- I love this story. Peter and John walk up uh, to this guy, and he's begging for, for money. I mean, just picture one of these guys out in the city just begging, and imagine walking up to them and doing this. This is what they did. They, they go, man, silver and gold, I don't have. Like, loonies and toonies, I don't have. Um, but what I have, I'll give to you. Rise up and walk. And this man who's never walked in his life gains muscle that he didn't have in his legs. And his, his tendons are working. All of these things are coming together. And he stands up. And he's praising God. And the people are praising God. They've seen a miracle. And, and the, the, the people are in awe. Except for some of the people. There, there are people there who are the, the elders and the rulers of the people and they weren't cool with this, right? They didn't want this to happen. These are the guys who actually put Jesus to death. And, and now in the name of Jesus, miracles are happening and it's not okay. And so they get Peter and John and, and they want to punish them, but they can't do it because the people are praising too much. Uh, this is what it says in, in Acts 4.21. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees, Okay, that's the whole thing. Let's, uh, is that one in there? 423. Uh, we'll get there in a sec. Um, here we go. I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, and when they had further threatened them, this is the rulers and the elders, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. 
So it says they threatened them further. Um, remember, these, like, well, like, we don't know what kind of threats these were, but these are the guys who killed Jesus. And later on, there's, we're going to see some of these Christians getting stones at, thrown at them until they die, right? Like, these are not just, like, threaten to defriend you on, on Facebook. This is, like, a real danger. And the apostles, Peter and John, they... They feel this. They're in this dilemma now because these guys are saying, if you go out and you share Jesus, if you keep proclaiming, you keep doing miracles in the name of Jesus, like do them in the name of God, that's fine. You do them in the name of Jesus, there's, you're going to have to pay. Um, there's going to be consequences, and those consequences could be your life. And so Peter and John have to respond to this. They, they're in this dilemma because because Jesus has told them, you're going to go out and you're going to make disciples of all nations. You're going to baptize people in my name. You're going to do miracles in my name. And they've been with Jesus all this time and he's, he's ascended into heaven and now they're doing the thing. And as soon as they're doing it and miracles are happening, like who opposes this type of miracle? Who, who wants to put us end to this? Who wants to snuff this out? But these guys do. And so they're in this dilemma. So what do they do? What do they do? What are they going to do? And I wonder how many of us resist stepping out in boldness because maybe not to the same degree as them, even less, right? Like, but perceived threats that come on the other side of boldness. Maybe you've got a long list of things that would happen if you were to call that person and tell them about Jesus or if you were to stop and talk to this random stranger and tell them about Jesus Maybe the list is really long for you. Here's the thing. If we go around Montreal and we proclaim Jesus as just one God among many, the people are going to love us. Like nobody has a problem with that. In this spiritual but not religious culture, like that's, that's a beautiful thing to, to this city, right? Talk about Jesus as an option on the buffet platter of religions. Uh, you do you. Find your own thing. Whatever works for you. And just do nice things to people. If you're just doing nice things to people and Jesus just happens to be your God, no one's going to have any problem with that. But what happens when you tell your friend, your neighbor, your boss, your family member that Jesus is the only way? Could you be that bold? What, what would the consequences be? You tell them that Jesus is the only way and now you might be in a little bit of danger. You could lose relationships friendships, maybe a job. In some situations, and in parts of the world for sure, you could lose your life. And if you talk to the wrong person here, I mean, we can't rule that out. What are you going to do? In a pluralistic society, often I think we feel like it seems arrogant to say, I have the way. I know that, I know that there's one truth and I know it, right? It seems pretty, pretty arrogant, and it is arrogant unless you're right. Could it be love to share the truth when nobody wants to hear it, if that truth is going to save their lives, even if it could hurt yours, could take away maybe some temporary comfort? We don't need a more palatable gospel. The world will constantly pressure the church to create a more palatable version of the gospel, one that just kind of fits in like a puzzle piece with the rest of the messages that the world is sending. We don't need a more palatable gospel. We're not called to a more palatable gospel. We're called 
to preach. So what we need is boldness. Maybe for you, the thing that keeps you from sharing the gospel doesn't have much to do with a fear. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it's not a fear of the consequences. Maybe you just don't feel like you know how. Maybe there's, there's some other reason, but the time that requires boldness will come, and this text is going to zero in on how they sought that boldness, how the apostles sought the Lord and received from him. And so this morning, let's dive in, whether you're in that place right now or whether that time is going to come in the future of your Christian walk. Let's see what the Lord would teach us through his word about boldness. What we're going to find is that boldness comes ultimately from the power in the presence of God. The power in the presence of God. And we're going to look at how the apostles sought that power and that presence. So uh, verse 23, uh, throw that up there, there. It says, when they were released, so this is right after that had happened, right? They've just been threatened. It says this, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Uh, and when they heard it, oh, there's this point. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. And so uh, the first thing they do, uh, they get out, they've been threatened. And the first thing they do, what do they do? They go to their friends. They go to their people. They run to their people and they give a report. And the response is to pray together. They sought the gift together in prayer. It's a very popular idea these days. You, you might be familiar with it. Maybe this is how you tend to feel about church, but this idea of, man, I'm really cool with Jesus, like, no problem, no qualms with Jesus, uh, but I'm not a fan of the church. Um, maybe you've met someone who's, who's said that, and, and it's kind of understandable, right? Because the church is not nearly as great as Jesus, right? Like, Jesus outranks, outdoes uh, his church on every level of the spectrum, Right? Uh, and it, it makes sense. We're like, you could leave church 21, you could leave whatever other church you might attend uh, and look for the best church in the world, look for a perfect church. If you were to go on the quest for the perfect church, you would go to a different church every week for the rest of your life and, and then you'd die and you would never find the perfect church because every church is just a group of like recovering sin addicts. Like, we are the problem, uh, and, and yet Jesus, the solution, calls us weirdly to come together with all of our issues and says, yeah, you're going to have a relationship with this person, and it's going to sting, and it's going to reveal this thing, and I'm going to work in it, and then you're going to try to serve this person. This person's not going to understand, and they're going to get mad at you, and then you're going to have to sit down and have a talk about it, and that's going to be painful, but then you're going to grow, and it's this messy thing, and the beauty isn't that there's no mess. The beauty is how we deal with the mess in a different way than the world does. Uh, We can't do this thing that God has made for us to do alone. Um, Who in here has seen the movie The Notebook? Um, Yeah, so back like probably 10 years ago, right, the movie The Notebook came out uh, guys, raise your hand. It's, you, you've seen it. Um, and you didn't even hate it that much. Let's be honest. Um, so this movie comes out. It's by this guy named Nicholas Sparks. He writes all these books. I don't know how this guy writes so many stories. I mean, they're kind of all like the same structure in some ways. They're getting really similar as time goes on, it feels like. But uh, he's just constantly pumping out these, these movies and these books, really, that get made into movies. 
And uh, the, probably the one that is best known is the notebook. Um, imagine if, if uh, Nicholas Sparks publishers went to him and said, hey, hey, Nick, we need another The Notebook. Like, we need you to go. We, we're going to pay you in advance. Uh, they probably do that. Uh, go out to your cabin in North Carolina um, where all your movies are, seem to be filmed and write this story. Uh, this, give, us, give us a notebook. That's what we want. And so uh, Nick goes, and he goes to his cabin, and you know, he lays out his stuff on the table. It looks great. And uh, he's just uh, pumped. He starts writing. He gets this idea, and he is... So excited about this idea, like this is going to be better than the notebook in his mind. And he starts typing. Uh, and he, he doesn't sleep much. He just keeps for like two weeks straight. He pumps out this novel, this love story, and he brings it back to his publishers. And he brings them this story about a man in love with his foot. <laughs> There's a man in love with his foot. And uh, man, it does not matter how well written that story is. Uh, it doesn't matter how creative the dates are. I don't know if they go to the foot spa. It doesn't matter how, uh, how good the one-liners are. If you're a foot, I'm a foot. It doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. Uh, it's not what the publishers wanted. If you go and try to live your life worshiping the Lord with all of your heart, intentionally separating yourself from the community that he's made for you, like, there's seasons where things happen where you can't be in community, but if you intentionally separate yourself uh, and say, I'm, I'm going to worship the Lord with all my heart, and you bring that offering to the Lord, and it's like bringing that story about the man in love with his foot. Uh, God had something better in mind. He, he has something a little bit more beautiful, and it might not be what you have in mind, uh, but this is the thing he's designed. Engage in the church. Another reason why we need this thing is because it's not just about us, um, and it's not, oftentimes we, we want to seek the Lord for an answered prayer, and we want to do that on our own, but, but what I've found is sometimes the answer to your prayer isn't going to come through your prayer, it's actually going to come through your brother or your sister in Christ praying for you. Have you ever had that happen? So last week we gathered here. And we prayed down here on the bottom for, for healing. And I, I was, you know, I'm a pastoral apprentice, so I'm down there to pray for people. But I'm like, you know, I need prayer. Uh, I'd been feeling this chest pain for a while um, and been really worried about it. And so I asked Dwight to pray for me. Um, and what Dwight knows is that I also struggle with obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, oft, at times, in recently, in sometimes a debilitating uh, extent, um, and so Dwight felt compelled to pray for that. And uh, as he prayed, I felt something, but I just didn't like think much of it. I was more worried about, is my chest going to be better? Um, and so I, uh, I go about my day. And if you know about obsessive compulsive disorder, the way it works um, for many, uh, you, you have these intrusive thoughts that come into your mind. Could be a what if question, could be a doubt, could be a just like a crazy thought. Um, and for, for most people, like everybody has this happen, you know, you're just walking around and it's like, well, that's a crazy thought. Um, and, or like, 
that's stupid, and you just move on, right? But for the person with obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, that thought becomes a loop, and you have to, if it's, if it's a doubt, you've got to disprove it, um, and you've got to go through all of these things to disprove it. If it's a, um, maybe I need to do this, and you have this aching sense that maybe I, I have to go do this thing, like you do these compulsions to satisfy the obsession, um, and you just get stuck in this loop that goes on and on, and it can be really debilitating. And, and for as long as I can remember, v- forms of this have existed in my life. In the past uh, probably six years, it's been stronger than ever. And on Sunday night, I think it was Sunday night, I was with Megan, and I'm just like, uh, it, it kind of hit me. I was like, I don't think I've been struggling with OCD today. And so I just started observing um, late throughout the week. And I just found that when the things that would normally trigger those loops happened, like I still had to respond to them, but it was easy for me to say, well, that's a stupid thought and just move on. Like in a way that it never has been before. Um, and, and for me, this is like, this is truly miraculous. Like I'm emboldened more to preach because of that answered prayer that I did not expect. I didn't even ask for the prayer that time. And so just in aside, like we're going to pray at the end. If, if it's a healing thing, if it's something else, come ask for prayer. God might heal you today. He might not. I've been praying for this for a long time, but, but here's my point. I've been praying for a long time, and then God prompted my friend to pray for me, my pastor, and he prays. Not, and it's not because he's a super Christian. It's because God said, I'm going to use him today. Maybe he's going to use you today in somebody else's life to bring about healing or to bring about transformation or to just to bring a word of encouragement. We gather together and we gather together in prayer. This is the way that God designed it and this is what they did. And so if we're going to be this praying community, uh, actually just an aside, if, if you're looking for this type of community, one, you have it in here uh, every Sunday morning, come ask for that. But man, we encourage you, get in a city group. If you're not in a city group, like this is what they're for, that we can be a community that prays together and lives on mission together. Um, and those things don't need to be divorced from one another, that we are getting together and meeting one another's needs and being used to meet one another's needs so that we can go meet the needs of the world together through the proclamation of Jesus. If you're not in a city group, uh, man, fill out a contact card later. I'm the person who will contact you and get you connected with one, uh, me or my wife. Uh, Please do that. Please get plugged in. Um, But we need a praying community. We need a community that prays together. And, and specifically, there, there are ways in which this community, as we look at this text, that they prayed together. We're going to see some of the ways that they did this. Um, so I just want to read uh, a little bit of their prayer as we get started. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice. So they've just heard this report of what had happened, of how they've been threatened. It says, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord who made it, the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Um, and it continues uh, on, and, and they go for a little while before they say any request. It's really interesting. Um, what are they doing? Like, they, they go on and they tell him about how he's sovereign and made the heavens and the earth. They tell him about these things that he did uh, through Jesus. And it's just kind of this weird thing of like, why are you telling God? If God's all knowing, why are you telling him? Like, he, he knows. He doesn't need a reminder of what he did. Um, but this is what they're doing. They're recounting his deeds. Uh, a, a common theme in the Psalms is this, this idea of recounting the deeds of the Lord. Uh, they, they, they think of what their current need is, 
And then they think back and say, well, God was faithful to meet that need for Israel in the past. If he was faithful then, well, he, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, if, if he could do it then, he could do it now. If he was willing then, then maybe he'll be willing now. And they recount the deeds of the Lord to strengthen their faith so that they can ask. And specifically what they recount here is fascinating. They, they start with this idea that God made the heavens, the earth, the sea, that at the macro level of sovereignty, right? They say sovereign God. Uh, That just means all-powerful ruler, all-powerful one. He is in complete control and what they're, that's framing the things that they are going to recount. That's framing the theology uh, of what they're going to remember and strengthening their faith. And so they go to the deeds that display his sovereignty. Man, he made the heavens. He made the earth, like continents, oceans, solar systems, galaxies, the whole universe, and God holds it in his hand, and, and, and he's in complete control at the macro level. But he's also sovereign at the micro level, but at the size of microbes and the things we, our eyes can't see, but even in the things of human affairs. Like God cares about people's lives and he's involved in it in this supernatural way in which somehow we still have active agency. We're moral, responsible beings. He considers us uh, free in that sense that we're willing these things. And yet God is so powerful that he can work sovereignly in these human affairs with these responsible agents that are humans. And he can bring a about his will in every instance. There is nothing that happens outside of his ultimate will of either permission or active agency. And so they continue and they say, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage the people's, and the people's plot in vain? So right here, they're quoting this Old Testament Psalm from Psalm chapter two, and they're going to apply it to Jesus. And, and this is all framed within this sovereignty moment of this, man, the God who controls the universe, the God who created everything through the mouth of David spoke. Through the mouth of King David of Israel, he uttered words. And those words were not just for that time. They were actually for this time, for the time that these apostles are living in. And they continue, and this is how they apply it. The kings of the earth uh, set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. That's still in Psalm 2. And then this is the application. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, you chose him, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, that's that's people who aren't Jewish, and the peoples of Israel. So both Israel and the Gentiles, Israel and everyone who's not Israel, is against Jesus. Pontius Pilate is against Jesus. Herod, King Herod, is against Jesus. And God's in control. As much as he was from, from let there be light at the beginning of universe to the death of Jesus, the light of the world on the cross, God reigns sovereign. His hand is firmly on the light switch. And this is what they choose to remember. In the darkest moment, when everything seemed lost, 
It wasn't. God was still on his throne. This was his plan. He planned. He predestined and planned. This is what it says, to do whatever your hand had predestined to take place, your hand and your plan. Jesus' death on the cross, I don't know what, what you've heard about Jesus and his death on the cross. When I was young, this is very, very dumb. Um, when I was young, I remember getting upset uh, at like, there was a day I was talking to my friend's mom and I was like upset at Jewish people because they had killed my savior. Completely unaware of the fact that if Jesus wasn't killed, I don't have a savior, right? Um, if you're here uh, and, and you think that, that Jesus' death on the cross was, cross was merely a tragedy, like this is the best news in the world. This is what I, like I'm, I moved to Canada so that I can talk to you about. Um, this is why so many of these people gather what we live for uh, to tell people about. This was planned. And it was planned because the God of the universe who created it all loves you. With a love that is far too big to explain. The good news, you're never going to understand the good news. You're never going to understand why he had to die for you unless you understand the bad news. Here's the bad news. The bad news is that God is good and we're not, right? Like even within the church, it's a mess, right? It's a mess that we're trying to work through together until we die and we go be with Jesus or until he comes back. But we're sinful people. We're people who fall short of loving God with the worthiness, like with the degree that he is worthy of. He is worthy of our whole hearts. We were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To praise him, to enjoy him. And we all fall desperately short of this. Like all of us, daily. It's not, the the loving neighbor piece is a secondary overflow of loving God with our whole heart. But we fall short in even that, right? Some of us are pretty good at doing nice things to people, but God calls us to love the, love these people as ourselves uh, because he has made them in his image. And so the fact that we honor God overflows in loving the people who he's made in his image. And we all fall short of this. The Bible tells us that the penalty of death the, the, the payment, the wages, right? You, if you go work at a job and uh, I give you your wages, you, you've, that's what you've earned, right? The wages of sin is death. That that's what we deserve. And, and Jesus looks at this bad news of our sin and says, I love you so much that I will take your wages. I'll take your penalty. I will get on this cross for you. The father loves us so much. He says, I'll send my son so that you don't have to die, so that you don't have to experience eternal separation from me. For a lot of us, this still doesn't compute. This idea that, that we would be worthy, that we would, we would deserve this type of punishment. And, and I just want to um, suggest to you that the fact that that might seem outlandish, this idea of a hell as a punishment for not honoring God, is a testimony against us itself that we don't understand how worthy he is, that our hearts don't glorify him the way he does deserve to be glorified. There are prophets throughout the Bible, they encounter God, men who are supposed to be godly men, and they fall down like dead men. They're humbled. You encounter the living God, you, don't need, uh, you, you won't need an argument. The encounter is the argument. You 
encounter Jesus, you see his holiness. And like Isaiah, you begin pronouncing judgment on yourself. Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And yet in that story with Isaiah, Isaiah gets cleansed. And in our story, Jesus offers cleansing and forgiveness. He suffered on the cross for your cleansing, for your forgiveness. His response to the bad news of your sin is sacrifice, it's love. This is the best news in the universe. And he offers us his Holy Spirit to live in us, to empower us, to grow in grace for the rest of our lives, to share this good news with people and bring other people into it so that they don't have to suffer what they deserve, like we deserved. And we go and say, I was healed. I was healed eternally. We are the, the man, the lame man standing up leaping for God and we go through our city and we say, you can have it too. To a bunch of other people who desperately need our savior. Some of you need to hear this, that God was sovereign in the darkest moment of history. And if he was sovereign there, you need to recount these deeds of the Lord. He's sovereign now. You are going through, some of you might be going through the hardest time of your life. And I just want to encourage you with this, that um, he's on the throne and he's good. Uh, And when the fog of circumstance is too thick to find understanding, look to the crystal clear love of the cross. If there's anything clear in this world, it is the cross of Jesus Christ. He doesn't always offer an explanation of why you're going through what you're going through, but he offered himself and he offers it to you today. If you want to know Jesus, if you haven't experienced his forgiveness and salvation, man, when we end tonight, this morning, um, we're gonna be here a long time. No, when, when we end this morning, come on down. Like we'd love to pray with you about that. All you've got to do is surrender the throne of your heart so that the rightful king can sit back on it. Let him guide your life. Let him be your Lord, because he is. So they've gathered in community. They've recounted the deeds of the Lord, and then they make a request. We'll get there. Um, They make a request. Acts, uh, verse 29 It says this, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness, with all boldness. This is their request. Uh, Let us speak with boldness. And they continue, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is not the first thing that I would pray. I don't know about you, but if I was choosing to recount the deeds of the Lord, if I'm facing threat of my life, I think I'd probably be like sovereign Lord who created everything and, uh, you know, parted the Red Sea for the Israelites to get away from Egypt and led them to safety. Like I would go there first. I would, I would pick safety and that would be my prayer. And I I wouldn't be asking uh, for boldness. I would be asking for safety. Uh, But what they ask for is boldness over safety. That's their main thing. Their main prayer is not deliver us from the enemies. Their main prayer is let us speak. Why? Because their enemies were their mission. Their enemies were the mission that God had given them. Go to the people who don't know me, who oppose me, and proclaim who I am, that there is a new king, 
that there is a new king ruling this place. Their enemies were their mission in our, you could say enemies, our neighbors, all of it. Everyone in this city, that's our mission. What we don't need is God to take us, pick us up and move us to some, we don't need to pack up and move to some uh, podunk town in the middle of nowhere and just form a little like cult. No, we're on mission here in this city to share the gospel, to share the good news. We don't want to come out and separate. We want to be in and transform. And that's what they were doing. They were bringing good news to people who need it. They pray for boldness. In, in countries, uh, man, often we pray for missionaries and, and, and we pray for these places that are going through danger. In the prayer they need, more than they need prayer for safety. Yes, they need prayer. For, like, don't, don't pull away from that. If God will grant us safety, grant us safety. But pray for boldness for these people. Pray for boldness to keep proclaiming. You know, the, blood, the, the, the martyrs of the old, the, the people in, of the early church who died for their faith, they used to say, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Man, you cut us down, you're scattering seed. And this church is gonna grow back stronger. We're gonna take this world. The gates of hell cannot prevail against God's church. Romans 8 says it this way. Uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This, this is the question. Who, there's danger in this world. What's going to separate us from Christ's love? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And, and then they, he kind of steps aside and says, well, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What's he saying? No, this is, this is promised. We're gonna suffer. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you if you follow me. It's, suffering's not an option for the Christian. In some form, it's gonna come. So what's gonna separate us from his love? Is this suffering gonna separate us from the thing that's most important? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How can you be more than a conqueror? Uh, I tend to think it's when you use the enemy's attacks against him for your own good. I might have shared this before. Uh, when, when the enemy beats you down and you use his own punches to punch himself, right? You duck and he hits himself in the face. That's what happens is this enemy, Satan, and the demonic forces attack the church. They strengthen the mission. Give us boldness in the face of danger. Let us not fear I'm going to go back a couple slides to this uh, verse from Mark eleven twenty four. It says, therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus. These men have spent time, these men and these women have spent time walking with Jesus. And they're essentially in this prayer and faith school for like three years, learning what it is to pray, learning what it is to walk by faith. And this is one of the teachings Jesus gave them. And it's remarkable. It says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've already received it and it will be yours. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've already received it and it will be yours. Some of you are thinking of Lamborghinis right now. Uh, That's not what he means. How do you have that type of faith to believe you've already received it? How can you already know that you've received it? Well, God gives us these things called promises in his word. And, And the beautiful thing is that when you are in Christ, every heavenly blessing is yours in Christ Jesus. When we pray, uh, 
when we pray, we are going to get what already belongs to us. And we're praying according to the will of God. Because there's, there's verses that make it clear that it's not just when you pray for your own reasons and all these things, there's like, we, we've all experienced, we don't get everything we pray for. How can we have the confidence we'll pray according to his promise? Go to him to receive the things that he requires of you. It's, there's this uh, beautiful, this little uh, poem, and it says, uh, man, run, John, run, uh, the law commands. Uh, I'll, run, John, run. If you imagine your name is John. The law commands, but it gives us neither feet nor hands. And then it says, far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. This, Jesus gives us the things that he commands of us. That's the message of the gospel. Like that, that's inherent in the gospel. He gives you this, the righteousness you need to stand before him and he gives you the grace to obey him. If he's calling you to proclaim, man, he'll give you the Holy Spirit, but go and get from him what, he need, what you need of him to do his work. The timing is up to him. Sometimes he's gonna have us wait in prayer. Sometimes what you need, you didn't know, is a little bit of patience and God wants to form that in you through waiting because patience is faith over time, right? And he wants to form that faith over time to trust him even through the darkness. The timing is up to him, but the need will be met. You can have absolute confidence that when God commands something of you, that he means to supply what you need to accomplish it. Go to him in faith. And this, how can we be bold? We go to him in prayer, trusting that he's gonna give it to us. He's going to give us the boldness if we'll wait on him in prayer. This community prays together. They recount the deeds. They pray according to his promise. And then there's a beautiful result. As they pray with confidence, there's this thing that happens and they are filled with the spirit. They're filled with the spirit. It says this, and when they had prayed, the place with which they had gathered, which they were gathered together was shaken. And just imagine this place shaking, not because of the the loud sound from the movie theater, but this room starts to shake in a way that's just not normal. And this rushing wind comes in and We're filled with the spirit. People start speaking in tongues. Crazy things start happening. Like this is what happened. This is real life. Like we we tend to separate this in our minds and think like this was just normal. This isn't normal. This is wild. This is amazing. And this is what happened is they seek the Lord in confidence. The place shakes and they're filled with the spirit. Uh, it's highly debated if this is what people call baptism of the Spirit or if this is um, the first time people receive the Spirit throughout. There's lots of different views on the Holy Spirit. And some, some groups would say that there's this thing called a second blessing, that, um, that you get saved and then the Holy Spirit actually comes later. Like you don't receive the Holy Spirit when you get saved. Uh, we at Church 21 wouldn't identify with that position, um, for this reason, Ephesians 1.13, it says this, in him, in him being Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed on him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That when you believed, you actually were sealed with the Spirit. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit isn't something that comes later. It, it actually comes at the beginning, but 
what's interesting here too, because um, people will say, yeah, but like look at some of these stories where it comes in this dramatic way. The Holy Spirit comes in dramatic ways at times, in remarkable earth-shaking ways. He could do that for some of us today in this room, and we should hope for that. We should want that to happen. But what's interesting here is that this isn't the first time this has happened to these believers. Uh, There is a second blessing that happens, but it's not their first receiving of the Holy Spirit. These guys have been filled up. These these Christians have already received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And then here again, they're seeking the Lord, not for this initial filling of the Holy Spirit. They're just saying, give us boldness, and the, the room starts to shake. There's this category in scripture for this ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians later on says it this way, and it, it, he's, Paul's writing and he says, and do not get drunk with wine for that's debauchery. Uh, maybe you didn't know that, but now you know. Uh, but be filled with the Spirit. So as opposed to getting drunk with wine, fill yourself with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Are you living in dependence on the Holy Spirit? Are you asking him to fill you daily? Are we as a church? We will not reach this city without being full of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't have to be a, sh- a room shaking, but, it, but I'm not opposed to it. But we're not going to move the kingdom much farther if we're not depending on God. Here's the reason. A prayerless church is a powerless church. And, and the reason a prayerless church is a powerless church is because when a prayerless church succeeds, who gets the glory? The church, right? Our strategies, our, our talent, our skills, our just even our character. But when people humble themselves in prayer and ask God to move, and he does, God gets the glory. It, it actually serves the mission of preaching the gospel for us to be deeply dependent in prayer because God's the one they need, right? The, the world doesn't just need churches. The world needs God. Churches are just conduits. People who make up churches were just conduits for that blessing, for God to work through us. So prayer, it's kind of like, um, you, could, you could think of the church or, and even individuals as this sea vessel. And, and prayer is just setting the sails. It doesn't matter how strong the wind of the Holy Spirit is blowing over the waves, if our sails aren't up, we're not moving. We're not going anywhere. In your personal life, are you trying to excel maybe in growing Christ-like and yet neglecting dependence in prayer? And so many times I've fallen into this. I get like these great strategies and I'm going to work hard at this and it's just empty. Why? Because it's not supposed to just be me. Like there's never this time where God says, just go do it. No, it's no, come to work with me. It's, it's go to work with dad day every day, right? That's how it goes. That's how it works. We grow more dependent. I think Dwight said that last week, that Christian maturity is dependence. We grow more like children. We don't grow more independent. We need to be a praying church. 
whether or not God's going to shake our homes or whether he's going to shake maybe our, our bodies, I don't know, whether he's going to shake things up, he's going to shake our world if we will become people of prayer. How he moves is his prerogative, but that he moves is his promise. If we will go to him for his promise, he will move. That might start with deeply moving you into repentance, into transformation, but it will flow out from you. We might meet opposition, but the church will prevail. It always does. I'm going to read this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says, To pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to gather riches out of an exhaustible storehouse. He owns everything. He's got everything. He will give you what you need to do the thing he's called you to do. So take heart. If you're discouraged by your lack of boldness, like I was that day, I want to encourage you that that discouragement uh, need not be hopeless. Uh, If you're convicted by it, like if you feel remorse for your lack of boldness to speak up for Christ, do you think that you created that remorse yourself or might that be the first fruits of the Holy Spirit working in your heart to bring about the boldness that you want. I found when there's a desire, a genuine desire in me for godliness, not so that I can get acclaim and get praise of man, but when it's genuinely this desire to please the Lord and to grow in this thing, man, growth always follows. Why? Because the Holy Spirit completes the works he begins in our hearts. If he started that and you take heart, he will bring it to completion. He will grow you into maturity. So eight years ago, driving home, right? Weeping. And I start this process. It it, it was a wake-up call for me. I I was not bold. Um, And I remember I I started praying what I called a dangerous prayer. It was, uh, Lord, do whatever it takes to get me completely into your arms. That's how I worded it then. I wouldn't word it that way because I was in his arms. Um, I would probably word it, Lord, do whatever it takes to make me bold. Uh, And what I found in that is that sometimes it comes like a rushing wind. That place shakes and there's just a a rare boldness that God gives. And sometimes he leads us through a path of pruning. You know, like like a grapevine, as you prune it, the pruning is painful but the fruit that follows is worth it. And, and sometimes the path to growth is gonna take you through some things you don't wanna walk through. But fruit is on the other side. Maybe you're in that season right now. Fruit is on the other side if you'll press on with the Lord and what he's doing in your life. I've seen growth in that area. I'm not perfect. I still fail. I still fall into fear at times. But what I've found is when I'm living in dependent prayer, those are the times I'm most strong in boldness. Those are the times I'm most willing to share the gospel with people. And those are the times I see him move. When I do ask him, I've found that the opportunities are all around me. Sometimes in crazy ways, a guy gets moved to sit next to you on a plane and asks you, tell me about Jesus. And you're like, what is going on? And, And sometimes you walk up to a stranger and you ask him if you can tell him about Jesus and they say no and they spit and then they walk away, right? Like it goes a lot of different ways. But if we'll seek him for this, I, I know he will grow us in this. And it's the only way he will grow us. So I want to give you a very specific challenge. I'm going to invite the band back up um, this week. So we, we looked at how they gathered together in prayer. They remembered his deeds. They asked for boldness over safety. They prayed with confidence, with expectation. And they sought to be filled, and they were filled. 
Uh, and, and my challenge to you this week is just to get together with one other Christian, one other believer, one other person, and to pray for this boldness. Like spend a little bit of time in prayer just asking God. Confess the reasons you're afraid of, of sharing your faith to him. Recount his deeds together and expect him to move and then go out through the week and just look for opportunities and just share, this is the challenge, share the gospel with one person this week. One person. Uh, Pray for one person this week. Maybe you don't feel like you have a great articulate sense of the gospel, just share what you know. Hey, Jesus loves you and and he wants you to know that. If if, If that's it, that's a step. If that's for you, that's a big step, take it. Maybe it's, it's asking someone, hey, could I pray for you? Is there anything I could pray for you? A lot of times what I'll do when I, when I do do this is I'll, I'll say, hey, I know this is super weird, um, but I'm a Christian and I just like to pray for my neighbors and I felt like I should pray for you. Is there something I could pray for you for? Um, you can let them know that it's weird for you too. It makes it a little bit better. Um, but one person, maybe that's praying with one person. Maybe you do this with your city group. Uh, I'll leave that to you, but... But this week, one person to share your faith and, and see who God provides. Maybe he'll provide more than one and you'll find yourself more bold than you thought you could be. So we're gonna move into a time of response. And uh, there's a number of ways we respond each week. Um, one of the ways is in song. So we're gonna sing some songs of praise to Jesus. Um, we're gonna, like, it, as you sing, I mean, this is a testimony of what this thing is, that these people, diverse backgrounds, lifting up a harmonious sound to God. Um, don't think of this as your private worship time. This is our corporate worship time. Bring your voices up to God together, and we're going to respond that way. Another way we respond is through the offering. Um, if you're a member or a, a regular attender, you're part of this church, you call this your church home, um, then we encourage you to worship the Lord by uh, giving as, uh, as he leads you. And you can do that in the black boxes over there. Uh, another way, if you're not a Christian yet, you're not a believer, a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come down for prayer in a moment. As the songs are happening, as we're worshiping, come down, tap somebody. Uh, I, and I'm going to invite actually even now, if, if you're a leader, a city group leader, or a pastor, if you just come down to this aisle um, and uh, maybe once we start singing, just come on down, both male and female, um, so that we can pray with people who need prayer. Um, So yeah, do that. Like don't, don't leave this place today without meeting Jesus. You could be saved. You could meet him today. Have your life changed forever. Doesn't mean the suffering will be gone but he'll be walking with you through it towards a perfect aim, towards a perfect end, and it's worth it. Uh, Another way that we respond, there's a lot of ways we respond, is through communion. So over here, we've got bread and and juice and wine. um, And what we do is we take this in remembrance of Jesus. So the Lord, Jesus, on the night of his arrest, he took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, take Eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. So I invite you uh, 
to partake of the cup, to partake of the bread, but to do so uh, after reflecting. Um, Ask the Lord to reveal if there's any unrepentant sin in your heart, that we would give him everything before we come and receive, that we would surrender and receive. If there's anything in your heart that you need to deal with, if there's a relationship that you need to restore, uh, today, go and restore this relationship. Let's be a people who are living our lives in submission to the Lord Jesus, and he'll give you the strength to do that too. The last way we invite you to respond is, again, if you'd like prayer for healing, for boldness, for anything, come on down. Um, I'd love to pray with you. Our city group leaders and pastors, we'd love to pray for you. I'm gonna pray right now, and we'll sing. Uh, Father God, I thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy, that you are not a God who leaves us in our sin, that you're not a God who leaves us to be afraid, to leaves us to fight on our own, that you actually let us encounter you and you fill us with your spirit. Jesus, this city needs you more than anything in the world. Lord, would you use us to bring the gospel to this city? Break our hearts for this city. Break our hearts for this world. Show us through your love for us. Show us your love for them as well. Fill us with a boldness that doesn't make any sense to us, a boldness we've never had. OCD can't stand in the way. Anxiety can't stand in the way. Nothing can stand in the way of your power, Lord. So would you fill us? Would you use us? And would we see some people added to our number this week as you stretch out your hand to heal and to save? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.